start in that direction if you would like to, Romans. And uh, on this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday evening, uh, thank you for your faithful giving. Some folks have come by, dropped off their tithes and offerings. Others have sent them in. And because of that, we've been able to continue uh, our ministry for which we give God all the praise and the glory. But I do want to thank you. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for praying for us. And we appreciate all of the texts and the emails and the notes and phone calls, everybody trying to keep in touch during these uncertain and difficult times. Now, we have sung the song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. And in addition to being one of my favorite hymns, it also speaks of a very important discipline, a very important part of the Christian experience. You see, when we got saved, God left us here for a number of reasons. I think everybody would agree that God left us here because, first of all, probably we're not ready. I know that all you got to be ready to go to heaven is saved and dead. But, I mean, we're probably not spiritually mature, not as spiritually mature as we ought to be. How many of you would agree with me that God's still working on me like the chorus says? Amen? Yes, He's still working on us. So, uh, we don't want to be, now I don't know that there's a remedial class in heaven, but we don't want to be like the preacher who said, uh, some folks ought to be put in remedial Christianity when they get to heaven because they haven't experienced it down here. So we would certainly agree that God's working on us, isn't He? After we receive Christ as Savior, even though that's all that's necessary for us to get into heaven, probably we're not as far along as we need to be. That's, that's probably one thing. Something else is that God has chosen to work through us to win the lost. And, uh, and God uses the instrumentality of yielded human beings to be soul winners. We understand that. We understand that we don't do the saving. God does all the saving. Would you agree with that? Say amen. Come on. But, uh, but God uses the instrumentality of, of saved individuals to help lead others to Christ. That's important. But now here's something. As I have referred to it on numerous occasions, we find elderly people, some people who are bedridden, and they can't do anything but just be in bed. And they say, Preacher, why am I still here? Why did God leave me here to be in such pain and misery? And they go on like that. And I have to show them that many times God allows us to remain a while, even to be bedridden or limited to one locality, to a limited sphere of activity, because we're influencing some of those generations that are coming along. Until they've been shown God's grace, even through our senior years, God's not through with us yet. And while we're lying there on the bed of affliction, think about this. You that are at home, those of you that are uh, bedridden or, or ill, let me tell you right now, as, as long as you can, as long as you're breathing, you can breathe a prayer. As long as you have life in your body, you can be praying and, and uh, fulfilling the will of God with respect to a prayer life. Sweet hour of prayer. Most of us, however, don't pray an hour a day. It has been estimated, and I don't know who did this study, but it has been estimated that when you reduce what a person says when they are supposedly praying to the actual prayer that's being prayed, most born-again believers, professing believers, pray a few minutes a day and probably no more than that. Now, we need to always be in a spirit and an attitude of prayer, 
where we're prayed up and we're ready to pray about anything. I've heard illustrations from great preachers who said that they found themselves in a situation of desperation when they were supposed to be praying for a loved one, somebody that was sick or in the emergency room, and, and God flashed before their mind some unforgiveness, some unresolved uh, relationships in their life that they needed to get right. And we need to always be in a spiritual uh, situation, fellowship with the Lord, where we're right with God so that we can pray at any moment. But when it comes to praying, most of us don't pray for a full hour. Uh, we have not come close to plumbing the depths of this experience of prayer. When we speak about sweet hour of prayer, most of us are not singing the truth because we don't pray an hour a day. In His earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus made a great deal out of prayer because it is an important uh, discipline of our life. As our Savior and as our example, He often would withdraw Himself and pray alone. No, He was not doing social distancing for some virus, but He was getting off alone by Himself some of the questions and some of the uh, demands upon Him would distract him from that which was weighing heavy on his heart. And so he got apart somewhere and prayed alone. Isn't it good to have a place like that? To maybe have a prayer closet. I believe that's a great concept. Before he chose his disciples, he prayed. Before working great miracles or facing great challenges in his ministry. We've got to remember that before there was a Calvary, there was a Gethsemane. And Jesus Christ, a man of sorrows and acquainted with our griefs, with our needs and our burdens, was an example of what we ought to be in prayer. You remember his disciples asked him to teach them to pray in Luke chapter 11, like, uh, like John's disciples taught them to pray. And so he did. He gave them the model of prayer. He gave them a system of thinking orderly about what they would pray. And I believe that's a good starting place. It's like learning to play tennis. If you've ever been taught the correct way to play tennis, you don't just get out there and start whacking the ball around uh, like you are on the back lot. But you learn there's, there's form and there, you have to have your feet and your form and your serve and uh, the way you place yourself defensively for the return shots. All of this requires some teaching, some training and some discipline. Well, it's the same thing with prayer. As we're starting out, before we become world-class prayer warriors, uh, we have to learn some basic things and practice some basic disciplines. He taught his disciples that they needed to pray in faith, believing to receive. Do you understand what that means? That means that, well, like the song that has been sung, prayer without faith is like a boat without an oar. And that is true. We need to have faith. We need to believe according to the Word of God. We need to pray according to God's will. And God's will is revealed in God's Word. We need to pray with importunity. We need to stay with it and never give up and never quit. One of the great ministries of our church in recent years has been the establishment of the worldwide prayer chains and prayer warriors. And I'm so glad that so many, even outside of our church, have become a part of this network of prayer warriors. 
And of course, we have folks all around the globe in many of the different time zones praying overseas as well as across the United States. And this is right because right now, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is in heaven and His ministry consists of interceding for us. Jesus Christ prays for His own. It says in Hebrews chapter 7, if you'd like to mark this down, a good verse to memorize, verse 25, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. The one who gave us His word and inspired the Apostle Paul to write, Pray without ceasing, is the one who intercedes without ceasing. We need to always be ready to pray. Why? Because He has a great heart for us. He has a great desire for us. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted or tested like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. But do we? Do we really come boldly? Sadly, no. Sadly, we come slowly. We come haltingly. We come hesitatingly. We come dragging our feet. Why? Why do we do that? We do that sometimes because of our own uncertainty, because of our own insecurity in the area of prayer. Why is that? Why is that? I read about great prayer warriors. How many of you have ever read a book about somebody who was a great prayer warrior? Yes. Don't you want to be like that person? Wouldn't you like to have some of the, those qualities? Of course we would. I think of the man that was known as Father Nash. He was Finney's associate. And when Finney would go into an area to preach, Father Nash would accompany him. He was called Father Nash only because he was older. But he would, uh, for example, if Finney were preaching in a church building and it was crowded, and I can think of one in particular, I was on the same location where Finney preached, and the building was com completely filled, 800 or 1,000 people spilling out, and there were 800 or 1,000 people out on the green uh, on the outside of the church with the windows open so they could hear Finney preach his revival message. And about a block away, there was Father Nash. And Father Nash was on his knees. And he was saying, Oh God, will you send revival? Will you bless us with revival? Will you stir hearts of Christians? Will you save the lost? And he was praying like a great intercessor. One of my mentors found his gravestone up in New York, dusted it off, and it said, Father Nash, mighty in prayer. That's all it said. Mighty in prayer. Back in Bible college, Dr. Richard Weeks, little short man, he was just full of vim, vigor, and vitality. He was always excited. He was a song leader that could, I mean, just 
Not a very big guy, but he could get your attention when he was called upon to pray. I recall when our college was first established, the first public chapel that was held. Dr. Cedarholm said, Dr. Weeks, would you come and pray for us? And he walked up to the podium. We all bowed our heads as we stood in our place throughout that chapel. We stood there and we stood there. And I know you're not supposed to peek, but I peeked because I thought maybe Dr. Weeks had not heard correctly or maybe he had fainted or I don't know. Maybe there was some kind of a medical emergency, but he was standing there and he was coming into God's presence. And there was a long silence before he began to pray. I could tell from deep within his spirit. Dr. Clyde Kendall was that way. We had a prayer meeting before the last meeting that he held for us in our ministry, previous ministry in California. And I said, uh, uh, Dr. Kendall, would you like to pray? And there was a long silence. And then he began to kind of groan. And, and nothing spooky, but he was coming into God's presence. It was the real deal. Some people discount the importance of this kind of deep prayer. And they say, I've never experienced that. And when we send the prayer chain requests down around the world through our network of prayer warriors, they begin to wonder if it does any good even to pray when you don't know the person for whom you're praying. And you wonder, is it even worth it? Let me say to you right now, God knows the person for whom we're praying. God knows the needs of the person for whom we're praying. And if all you have is part of a name or sort of a description, God can put that all together. Because this business of praying and the prayer chains and praying in the Spirit and praying this way is about what comes from the heart and God taking it and making sense of it. We're in Romans chapter 8 tonight. Romans chapter 8 and our text is verses 26 and 27. Romans chapter 8 verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. What a description. We know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself, and I know some people complain about the King James Bible, but that's the only way you could translate the, the uh, underlying text correctly. It's not Himself, even though we realize that the Holy Spirit is a Him. We understand that He is a divine person, that He is God. But the Scripture says the Spirit itself, and so we translate it correctly, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Wow, this is powerful. I'm going to share something with you tonight that hopefully will be helpful. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, 
we pray now for and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Would you take our thoughts tonight and I pray that they will be correct according to the Word of God and that folks will understand about this business of praying, these, these utterances that we've spoken about. I pray this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Now please don't think that I'm going to suggest something spooky tonight, uh, nor am I going to fall prey to the false teaching of those who misunderstand all of those passages about New Testament languages or tongues in the apostolic age. They're no longer necessary because of the completion of the canon of Scripture. According to 1 Corinthians and chapter 13, that which is perfect is come and that which is in part has been done away with. And so that special apostolic ministry of tongues, uh, even as it was correctly uh, spoken of and taught, is no longer necessary and is certainly not uh, is certainly not fulfilled by what people call tongues today, the gibberish that they just, uh, that they just uh, spread around and call tongues. This is not about that, but it's about something very, very important. As I share with you the meaning of this scripture, understand that I am very serious. This afternoon... I had thoughts of possibly staying home. After all, there were a couple of reasons why I could just stay home and relax. But, but uh, with the urging of my wife, and she did not know why she was doing this, she said, you need, to, you need to go and work. You need to go and take care of what you take care of on Sunday. And so, you know, there's, there's no rest for us. So we, uh, I came over, and, and there was a reason. She knew without knowing. She knew without knowing. God spoke through her to me. I came over to work. And about 3, 3.30 in the afternoon, I got the strongest impression. The Bible says to try the spirits to see if they're of God. So I got the strongest impression that I should call one of my Timothys. And so I dialed up on the phone the number of one of my Timothys. No answer. That's unusual. Sunday afternoon, preacher would be answering the phone probably. No answer. No answer at all. Within minutes, I received a text from his wife. And the text said, We are in the midst of tornadoes. We are safe. My husband injured himself this week. I had to help him into this safe place where we're staying right now while the tornadoes were swirling all around them south of here. And I thought to myself, isn't that something? And I said to her, about a few minutes ago, uh, I believe it was God the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart to call my Timothy. And I did not know this. But this is what was going on. And God knew it. There have been numerous occasions through our ministry over the past 50 years when we've been awakened in the middle of the night with an impression to pray for somebody or just to pray and say, Lord, we don't know for whom we are praying, but whoever needs prayer. And we go through our, 
our names of those that are near and dear to us, and we would begin to pray. And the reason we would do that is because even though we did not have complete understanding in our five senses, so to speak, in the realm of our rational thinking, the Holy Spirit in the spirit world, I'm talking about God, the third person of the Trinity, knew and took that moment in time to impress upon our heart to pray. And later on, we found out about the undefined, unexplained, unsettledness that we had experienced in the middle of the night or at an unusual time such as we did today. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29, still in the Bible, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I have preached for years that everything we need to know is in the Bible. Not everything there is to know, but everything that we need to know, God can reveal to us by His Spirit through this inspired and preserved Word, the Bible. That's what I'm talking about. But there is a realm, there is an area in which I am not an expert. I confess that I am but a novice. And I don't want to sound spooky tonight. But we need to make ourselves available to God. For example, if you were abandoned somewhere and you needed to borrow a vehicle, you would ask somebody and they would give you the keys and hopefully you'd be able to get where you're going in that vehicle. Our life as a Christian if we are right with God, if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if we're praying about all those things, those rational things that we have on our list, mom and dad and son and daughter and friends and family and all those things, job and money and so forth, all those things we pray for. If we have that discipline as a regular part of our Christian experience, there will be times when the Holy Spirit of God will lay something on our heart that will be not completely understood. And as a result of it not being completely understood, we will go to God and we'll say, all right, Lord, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go to prayer right now. And we begin, to, we begin to pray. We go down that rational list and we begin to pray name for name for name. And later on, we may find out, we might not, but we may find out that there was a special need for which we're praying. Today, I believe the Holy Spirit impressed my heart to pray for that Timothy. I did not know that he had injured himself. I did not know that the whole family had to take cover for several waves of tornadoes that were coming through that part of the country. I did not realize that. But God knew that. God the Holy Spirit laid it on my heart. And he looked down and he said, well, Brother Winninger, he's not... He's not much, but he's all I've got in that particular case. I want him to pray. I began to pray for somebody. I did not know what they needed prayer for, but I began to pray for them and I tried to call them. But God had laid that one on my heart when we are developing a prayer life for the things that we know. God will use us in a most unusual way from time to time on things that we do not completely know, those secret, unexplained things. Why? Because we are a little trinity. 
You know there's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. You know there's God the Son. You know that there are three persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. We likewise are tripartite. We are spirit, soul, and body, as Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. Now here's what I am saying. We are just made for that sort of thing to happen. Not all the time. That's what makes a miracle a miracle. A miracle is a miracle because it doesn't happen all the time. If it happened all the time, we wouldn't call them miracles. We'd call them usuals. But miracles, <laughs> we call them regulars, you know, usuals. But they're miracles. They're special. And only God can be behind a miracle. We don't work up a miracle. God works a miracle. And when there's an unusual case in which God wants to use us, it's just like you need to get someplace and you borrow the keys to that vehicle and you get from point A to point B in the same way God looks down and He says, I'm going to use you. God wouldn't have to. God wouldn't have to use us, but He chooses to use us. And He says, pray for X, Y, Z. Pray for brother so-and-so. Pray for somebody. Or right now, pray. There's an impression. So you start to pray. And you say, all right, let's see. Let me get my list out. And if you have an order of prayer, if you pray for people regularly, God will do that in your experience from time to time. This is what we're talking about. Do you ever feel like you're at a loss in some Christian discipline? It's like you're no good at it. Now, these young men were down playing basketball and every one of them could play for the NBA if they were actually having a season. I watched them, I watched them swish, swish, swish. Well, it wasn't quite swish. It was bang, bang, bang. And then there were a few swishes in between. Amen, amen. Now, preacher, now, preacher, you're gone to meddling. All right, okay. But um, here, here you have some young people that are exuberant and excited just like we are when we first get saved. We're exuberant, we're excited. But you know, if, if your sights were set, men, on being in the NBA and you didn't make it, you'd be disappointed forever. But you see, you're, you're, it works in the realm where you play. It works when you guys are playing your game downstairs in the gated area. That works for you. Now you may not be NBA right now, but on your own level, on your own level, there's adequacy there, there's usability, there's availability there, so to speak, in the realm of basketball, in the realm of sports. The same thing is true in our Christian experience, in the disciplines of the Christian life. Praying, reading the Bible, explaining the truth, um, uh, <clears throat> giving an answer of the, of the hope that lies within us. We need to be our best. We need to do our best. And the Lord will choose us out and will say, I'm going to use you. I do not know why God chooses us, but I know that we need to be ready for God to use us when He wants to use us in any given situation. I want you to pray. I want you to speak up for me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to serve me in this area or that area. We need to be our best. We need to yield to God. So wherever... I am not adequate. Wherever I don't make the grade spiritually, I need to be available for God to use me and to take whatever that is that He sees that He wants to use and allow Him 
to make full use of that. In this realm of the Spirit, it's often the case that we cannot fathom what God is doing. But we need to be consistent in what we know to do. We need to be consistent in what we are, I'll use the word adequate at, what we have developed in that area. We need to do what we can do. We may not know what God is doing. We may not have complete understanding. But we need to yield ourselves to God. Even though, Lord, I don't understand why you want me to go this way. Lord, I don't understand why you want me to speak to this person or say this or do this other thing in your service. I am available, Lord, even though I don't have complete understanding. We may not have complete understanding. We may not have what you would call great eloquence or, or utterance. But the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, gives us what we need to know, takes whatever it is that we're trying to say and makes sense of it. And when we're praying, it may be, now I think, I believe this, when we're called upon to pray in a public venue, we ought to make some sense. But when you are in your personal prayer list, it may be that you come to, to the third person on your list and you don't know exactly precisely what to pray. And so you say, Lord, I don't know what to pray. I honestly, you admit that. Lord, I, I need you uh, to make it clearer to me or Lord, I'll just be satisfied to pray for so-and-so. And so you call their name. I've done that on numerous occasions where I've called your names I didn't know what was going on. On other occasions, you shared with me a prayer request or a need or a burden in your life, and I prayed for that specific need. But I've got to tell you, I don't always know when I go down the list of our people in our church what their specific needs are, so I call their name. And guess what? God the Holy Spirit knows what is needed in your life. God takes my, my inadequate, incomplete prayer and and my less than eloquent utterance, and he makes sense of it. That's what God does. Because he's God, and I'm not. Because he's God, and you're not. We need to be doing what we can. Participating in the Christian experiences and disciplines to the extent that we can. Because even though I might not fathom it, and even though I might not be able to form it with proper words, I tell you, I can faith it out. He gives us an unction. The scripture tells us that. He gives us the spiritual wherewithal. Whatever is necessary in the realm of faith so that that can be accomplished for His glory. I like that word unction. It means a medical treatment, a soothing, a comfort, an anointing. And praise the Lord that even though I may not have all the knowledge and the understanding and I may not have all the utterance and the ability to express myself that I would like to have when it comes to praying for somebody or serving the Lord in a specific area. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, makes up for what I am lacking and praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that truth. And amen. The book of Romans is a tremendous book. In fact, I'm going to be preaching next Sunday morning from the book of Romans, but we have three parts that it divides into. If you're taking notes, part number one, chapters one through eight, great doctrine, deep doctrinal truth, wonderful, wonderful doctrine about 
our righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ and through Christ. Part 2, chapters 9 through 11, has to do with Israel. God's not finished with Israel yet, but Gentile believers have been grafted in to that trunk. We'll talk about that next Sunday. And then part 3, chapters 12 through 16, are practical chapters, practical Christian living. I like the application of the doctrinal truth there in those chapters. But in chapter 8, we have a summary of what has come in the previous seven chapters. Man's need of a Savior, for example, and the God who provided so great uh, a salvation to save us, to redeem us, to justify us. I mean, it is beyond our comprehension, but we accept it because it's true. It's absolutely true. And so it's in this eighth chapter where we have the introduction of the, the truth that the Holy Spirit takes what seems to be in the five-sense realm inadequate. We're, we're not able to completely fathom or understand. We're not completely able to utter or to frame or form the words uh, in a way that it seems to make all the sense that it should. And But praise God, He has provided the unction or the faith whereby we're able to see God do great and mighty things in spite of our own innate weakness. One writer has said it this way. This is the deep mystery of the Christian life. This is the deep mystery of prayer. Words cannot interpret. And, and the believer does not always understand. The burden that we love to bear and cannot understand. The inarticulate heart cry for things we cannot comprehend. And yet we know they are an echo from the throne and a whisper from the heart of God. And so it says, here's what it says. After we read that there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Then we read in verse 11 of Romans chapter 8, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And then we see in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, like a little child would cry out for help. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we have assurance of salvation. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What a tremendous truth. If so be that we suffer with Him, we may also be also glorified together. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. And let's jump down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So in the meantime, while we're waiting for this redemption of our physical frame, we're going to get glorified bodies. That's what this is all about. In the meantime... Here you go, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints 
to the, to the will of God, according to the will of God. There it is. In behalf of the saints, in place of the saints. That's what the word for is all about. So he's working in and through us. And even though we may not have complete comprehension because we have been obedient, we've been walking, living by faith and not by sight because we've been offering what little we have to offer to God and he's taking it and he's using it from point A to point B in his perfect will. He likewise will occasionally wake us up in the middle of the night. And we'll have this impression to pray. We'll start praying down our prayer list. And later on, we'll find out that God used that prayer in some wonderful way. God will impress the preacher's heart in the middle of the afternoon to pray for a Timothy. And the Timothy didn't even know that I was doing that. But I got a call back from Mrs. Timothy and found out what was going on. And then I could pray more perfectly and more completely. Lord, keep them safe. Make those tornadoes go all around them. Don't let those tornadoes touch them in any way. We can pour out the fullness of our heart even when we don't fully understand what is burdening us. The burden of our spirit, the sorrow that may be crushing us, we don't completely understand it. There may be a period of, of time. It may be moments or days or weeks or, or months or years. We don't know, but we pour out our heart and God knows everything, but we keep on praying. We keep on coming to the throne and, and we come boldly, even though we, we feel like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know specifically and precisely in the perfect will of God how to pray, but I'm going to pray, I'm going to yield myself, I'm going to give what I know, and God's going to make up the difference. He's a great high priest. And our prayer is heard. And our prayer is accepted. And our prayer is answered when we pray in Jesus' name and according to His perfect will and for His glory. There's an inarticulate fellowship that even transcends the fellowship of words. I love to get together with people of like mind and faith. I love to talk about things that we have in common. I, I love to, to chat and, and enjoy that fellowship but then there are some things that you know that I don't know, and I, I like to just listen. And if we would just learn the lesson to listen when we don't know what in the world we're talking about. And that's what the Lord wants you to do. When you don't completely understand, when you don't fathom it, when you don't completely express it and you don't frame it correctly, may we have the faith in Almighty God Himself who gave us that faith just to listen to what he's got to say, to give ourselves to the extent that we possibly can so that he can use us even in that way. Don't feel like your inadequacy or your lack of understanding or utterance finishes the subject. The subject is not over because God isn't through with it. He keeps coming back and he keeps laying on our heart the desire that we might be used in some way so when I cannot utter, when I cannot understand, I'm thankful that God knows all about it. I'm glad when I'm incomplete that He is perfect and complete in every respect. And He gives me the wherewithal just to go on and by faith to pray and by faith to continue on in the Christian experience. We talk about sweet hour of prayer. There may be some times when there'll be groanings 
I'm not talking about gibberish. I'm not talking about the tongues heresy of our day. But I'm talking about real, deep prayer. Folks, tonight, I want God to speak to our hearts about this matter. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Yes, amen and amen. How many of you would say, Preacher, I desire to have that kind of a prayer life where as I pray, when I don't even know specifically everything that needs to be prayed, I'm thankful that God trusts me with that kind of a prayer life. Amen and amen. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right now, would you pray from your heart to God and mean it? Something like this, Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed from your heart to God, that prayer or something similar and meant it, would you slip your hand up so I can see it right now? Thank you.